Welcome to the Coach's Trail Podcast, where every coach has a story. Thanks for listening. My name is Nate Williams, and I'll be your host. On today's podcast, I'll be talking with my first high school basketball coach who is all about servant leadership. You can find more information about the Coach's Trail Podcast on my website, www.coachnatewilliams.com forward slash podcast, and on Twitter, at coach underscore nw. Lastly, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with another coach you know. Thanks for listening to the Coach's Trail Podcast and welcome to episode 15. Today's special guest is the first basketball coach to appear on the podcast. He has led his basketball team to the New Mexico State title in 2007 at Rio Rancho High School, and he recently led his team to the league championship in California at Portola High School, where they just completed their second varsity season. He has been recognized as a coach of character recipient as well. Please welcome to the podcast, current Portola High School basketball head coach, Brian Smith. Coach, thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me on this morning. All right, Coach. So before we get started with the actual uh, basketball interview, coaching interview, we have the Fast Five questions. And the purpose of the Fast Five is for the listeners to get to know you in a fun way. So here we go. First question. You transitioned. You were born and raised in Missouri. Then you were in New Mexico coaching and having, living your life out there. And in 2016, you, you uh, actually came over to Southern California. So what is the best thing about living in Southern California? You've been here for about four years now. So what would you say? Well, the joke is that I keep moving west, you know, starting in Missouri and then going to New Mexico. Now I'm here. So I think the best thing about living in Southern California, uh, to me, is the access to the beach, man. We're, we're, I'm 20 minutes away from the beach, 20 minutes away from Disneyland. So when you're in Missouri and New Mexico, you don't see that. So, you know, you guys that are born and raised in Southern California, you kind of take that for granted, I think. But uh, definitely living here, you know, the weather, the, the beach access, going to Disneyland, and can't forget the palm trees. Man, I love palm trees, you know. You can't, <laughs> I didn't have those in Missouri or New Mexico, so definitely those things. Uh-huh, exactly. So you keep moving west, and, uh, you know, the ne- only farther west is, is Hawaii, and that's maybe <laughs> retirement. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Coach, second question I have for you. As a basketball coach at the high school level, varsity head coach, it's a year-round program, but if you had a hobby outside of basketball, what would your favorite hobby be? You know, before I moved to Southern California, it was golf, man. When I lived in New Mexico, I, I knew people there. I knew golf courses there, and I usually played a lot of free golf. That's the best type of golf you can play. So uh, I would say golf, but when, since I moved to Southern California, I don't, I don't know that many people. I haven't made those connections yet. Uh, so honestly, it was probably going to Disneyland. My family used to have annual passes before we moved here. And so once we moved here, we just kept the annual passes and we'd go once a week. I think that when we first moved here, we probably went two or three times a week just to go, just to say we could, you know, kind of rub it into people's faces a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we, we actually were, were smart in August and we gave up our passes and it's a good thing we did now with this quarantine. So, yeah. uh, you know, other than that, spending time with family is another, uh, another hobby that I have as well. Free golf is the best golf, right? No one's complaining about that, man. Because you can and, play your worst golf and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. So third question we have for you, Coach. You know, I, I know you personally and I, and I know that you're 
you're you're into reading books and, and leadership and philosophy. Um, but what is one of the best books that you've read uh, besides the Bible? Uh, you know, for me, um, the one that stands out the most is called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, and the reason why is because the very first sentence in that book says it's not about you. And it totally sums up being a coach, <laughs> you know, and so I totally uh, connect to that. So, you know, I've read that book before. A couple other books that just stand out to me is uh, one called Creating Magic. It's by Lee Cockrell. He was, uh, it's kind of a Disney book, but it talks about leadership that like Disney, uh, the Disney company uses. Um, so that was one. I'll give you one more. Uh, Three-Dimensional Coaching by Jeff Duke. Uh, that's a great book for learning the different levels of how to coach kids and just how to get to the heart of your athletes. So those are probably my top three that I've read. Awesome. Yeah. Purpose Driven Life. I, uh, I've actually read that one and the 3D coaches. I have it, but just haven't read it yet. Fourth question I have for you, coach. You know, you are in Southern California now and it's OK to, to look back. But what's the thing that you probably miss most about New Mexico? Besides family and friends, you know, I, I think obviously we miss those or whatever, but a couple of things. One, I would say from a coaching side of it, I miss connecting with former players. You know, when you have players who go away to college and they come home, uh, I miss not being able to like see them walk in the gym and because we would always have them come into the gym and practice against the guys and, you know, alumni games, that type of thing. So I, I miss those connections. Um, I'd also say the food, <laughs> the food in New Mexico is really good, man. The breakfast burritos with green chili and green chili chicken enchiladas. And man, there's some good food out there, but, uh, yeah, I, I think those two things probably stand out the most. Um, it's also, you know, from a coaching side, training kids at high altitude, uh, you know, we're 5,000 feet above sea level out there in New Mexico. So anytime you train out there, the kids, they learn, you know, the breathing. And so that when they get here to like sea level, they could run for days. So that was, uh, mm -hmm. it was always fun to get creative with our training. So yeah, exactly. Talk about former players coming back in New Mexico, where uh, currently at Portola, you know, you guys are having your first graduating class. So you don't have that luxury yet, but maybe next year, you know, maybe the first alumni game and alumni versus current players. So that should be fun for uh, uh, moving forward. So uh, last question I have for you, you're coaching a basketball game. And it's five versus five. Who completes your starting five? And this, uh, the starting five can be all time. So we're talking all time greats. So basically, who's your starting five? Man, I'd feel almost embarrassed to coach them. You know what I mean? If I got to pick them, I don't want to coach them because they'll just do it themselves. But, uh, you know, it's funny. It's a highly debated topic. But for me, obviously, you got to have Jordan on there. Got to have Kobe on there. Um, I'm a Larry Bird guy. Uh, sorry, L.A., but I, I'm a Larry Bird guy um but unfortunately I would still have to pick two other LA guys I'd probably put Magic and LeBron on there you know Jordan Kobe Bird LeBron and Magic that's a that's a solid team I know there's not like a big in that but you wouldn't really need it with LeBron's freakish athleticism and you got Larry Bird's toughness and then you got Magic Johnson's you know vision and court sense and then obviously Jordan and Kobe could just do whatever so that'd probably be a pretty tough team to uh <laughs> to play against so you know, since we're in the quarantine era, ESPN has been kind of like going through the list of all time greats all the way to number one. And I mean, at that point in time, when you're an all time great, you know, what's the difference between really one, you know, one yeah. through five and, uh, you know, they're different eras, right? So those five would be tough to beat. So MJ, Kobe, Larry Bird, Magic and LeBron. All right, coach, that completes the fast five. We're going to go ahead and get started with the actual basketball interview now. Kind of hear about 
um, your story, kind of what you're doing right now at Portola and uh, all this good stuff. So the first question I have for you, currently the head basketball coach at Portola High School in Irvine, California, but what originally got you into coaching? Uh, you know, I, like you said earlier, I grew up in Missouri and I played basketball at Missouri Valley College, a little small NAIA school back in the Midwest. And um, when I graduated back in 1995, I graduated with my criminal justice degree and I uh, was trying to get into the highway patrol out there in Missouri. And when I was going through my training for that, my college coach, I was still living in the same city that I went to college and he approached me and said, Hey, you're going to be living around here. You, you ever thought about getting into coaching? And I was like, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I know I love basketball, but he was like, well, Hey, if you want to, man, you can come and, and be like, be my assistant and help out with the program and stuff. So, you know, I thought about it and, and talked to him a little bit and just uh, went and started going to practices and putting kids through workouts. And what was funny is some of the kids I was putting through workouts were my former teammates because I just graduated the year before. So, you know, I knew them personally and everything and got to go on some recruiting trips and, and just, you know, it was, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I think that just kind of solidified that, man, this is what I want to do. I really enjoyed doing that. So uh, I got into coaching on a volunteer status and I actually uh, ended up before I ever became a head coach was a, an assistant for nine years under six different head coaches at the high school level, at the college level. I just moved to different places and just wanted to learn. And I think three or four, no, three of those years, I did it strictly volunteer. I was never paid for it. Um, it was just volunteer basis. And I just absorbed so much, you know, information. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do after I started doing that. So. so when you were an assistant for nine years under six different head coaches, uh, was that still in Missouri? When did you transition to New Mexico? So my wife was from New Mexico. So when I was coaching uh, in Missouri, I ended up meeting my wife and we got married. She was actually going to college out there in Missouri and she ended up going to grad school as well. And I ended up going to grad school out there. And after we got married, she asked me, she was like, Hey, would you ever thought about uh, living in New Mexico? And I was like, Nope, not at all. <laughs> but uh, we got married and we ended up moving back to New Mexico. And so I was an assistant coach uh, for two coaches in New Mexico at Rio Rancho high school. Uh, Rio Rancho was a relatively new high school and I was two years with one coach. Uh, when he retired, I interviewed for the head coaching job and was turned down. And the next guy that came on, I was able to stay with him for two more years. And then my wife and I, uh, we, we got pregnant with my, my daughter. And when we had my daughter, my wife wanted to stay home for the first year. Well, we couldn't afford for her to stay home on one salary when I lived in New Mexico, but we could have I went back to Missouri. So started talking to my old high school back in Missouri. I knew the AD and he's like, look, the coach that's here now uh, is going to be retired in two years. He goes, you might as well get back here. He goes, cause I think you'd be a perfect candidate, you know, for this job. So mm -hmm. we moved back to Missouri for two years. I worked with a guy for that, that guy for two years. My first year out there, uh, we ended up winning a state title out there when I was an assistant. And then he retired the next year and I applied for the job, interviewed for the job. Um, there were six people on the committee. Uh, I got four of the six votes for the job and the superintendent brought in a new uh, athletic director and I ended up not getting that job. Uh, so I kind of feel like I got small town politics in my own small town a little bit. So mm -hmm. there was a point that I decided that maybe I'm not supposed to be a head coach. It'd been like nine years. And I remember I, I was pretty upset about it and told my wife, I was like, man, I'm done. I've been doing this for too long. And so 
about three days later, I got a call from Rio Rancho from the athletic director who already knew me. It was telling me that the current coach was leaving and wanted to know if I'd be interested in, in moving back. And I actually told him I wasn't sure because we had everything we needed in Missouri. We had a house, we had a little cul-de-sac we lived in, we had family, we had friends, we had you know a church we were going to. And next thing you know, we're back in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I've made that cross-country move a few times. <laughs> uh -huh. So then, then you took over Rio Rancho, and, and you were super successful there. And uh, eventually you won that 2007 state championship. Then you went to Cleveland High School. Um, yeah. Was that like a new high was, – Cleveland was kind of like a – were they like a powerhouse? Or, or was so Rio Rancho – I mean, it seems like both good programs. So Rio Rancho High School was it was Rio Rancho itself had a, was a city of about ninety thousand people and they only had one high school. There was an Intel plant there, and there was one high school there, and that was Rio Rancho High School. Well, like you said, we were fortunate enough to win a state title in two thousand and seven. That was my second year as the head coach. So I ended up being the head coach at Rio Rancho for four years. Well, going into the fourth year, um, the district decided to open up a brand new high school, and they named it Cleveland after our superintendent. Our superintendent's name was Dr. Cleveland. So they named it after, after her. And so when I was at Rio Rancho, they gave me a unique opportunity to actually start the program at Cleveland um, as they were just going to open up with just freshmen, but they allowed me to still coach Rio Rancho's program. So what I did is I had two freshman teams. One was Cleveland, one was Rio Rancho. So I, I you know, hired my staff and all that. And then after my fourth year, I just moved over to Cleveland. They opened it up with freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And that was year one uh, when we opened that up in what, 2009. So, yeah, so I opened up that school uh, as well. And so it's become kind of a powerhouse in football uh, and basketball, girls volleyball, you know, track, cross country. There's been a lot of – I think they've won 30 state championships since 2009. Wow. wow. So when you're facing those, those types of tough decisions, you know, you're going back to New Mexico, Missouri, and then back to New Mexico – and then you're working at Rio Rancho and then taking the Cleveland job. And then eventually in 2016, where you're at now is uh, going eventually to California at Portola High School. So who do you turn to in those kind of moments? Like when you're facing those tough decisions, who do you turn to for advice? Well, I mean, first and foremost, my wife. Um, you know, I, I've heard, you know, a lot of coaches talk about this and it's so true, but you have to have a, a good coach's wife. I think the two toughest jobs in the world are being a a, a mom and being a coach's wife and you know if, if you're having any type of success you have to have your wife has to be able to do both of those because there's there for a while they become a single mother you know what I mean when you're gone with coaching and all the responsibilities and stuff but we you know it evens out throughout the year but so you know we talked about it and we 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 you know try to make decisions but you know I'm a pretty strong faithful guy and I think that God has a plan and uh this is all God's handiwork this isn't me by any means because I I, can't, I could never predict this was going to happen or think this was going to happen. Like when we moved to from New Mexico here, I didn't know a single person out here. You know, I didn't know anything about uh, Irvine really. And so it was like, hey, if God opens this opportunity and opens his door, then let's jump through it and see. And so, you know, for us, a lot of it's our faith. And, and like I said, just being on the adventure together. I think my wife and I both believe that, you know, we're not supposed to just live for just us and we're the more people we can get out and like have an impact on the better and so she's also a teacher as well so you know when we decide to leave she's also leaving her students and she's leaving her families and she's leaving her relationships and so we've been just so fortunate to create so many more relationships uh than just the people in our little you know neighborhood type thing like if we would have just stayed in missouri 
I'd have never known what it was like to live in New Mexico or what it would be like to be out here in, in, in California. So we're just very blessed with that. How'd you get connected to Portola High School? Because at Cleveland High School, you, you had a very good program. Things were running smoothly. You know, you had your second born Brock, right? And, yep. uh, you know, how'd you get connected to Portola High School? Was, was it, uh, did you think, okay, how, how close is this to Disneyland? How close is it to the beach? Or, or what kind of pulled you to Portola? It's very funny how that all happened. When I was at Cleveland, um, one year I brought my team out to Palm Springs uh, to play in the Max Preps tournament out there at Rancho Mirage High School. And our first game that we played, we ended up playing Beckman. And Beckman High School was being coached by Brady Richards at the point, at the time. And uh, we played, and I got to talking to him. And, you know, I told him, hey, we love South, Southern California. My family visited. You know, we love talked about Disneyland, all that kind of stuff. And Brady actually told me, he said, hey, you know, next year there's going to be a new high school in uh, Irvine that they're building. You might want to take a look at it. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I appreciate that. So when we got back to New Mexico, we ended up playing, you know, going deep in the state playoffs that year. And um, I told my wife, I just felt there was this like nudge to do something different. And so I had actually uh, applied for a division two coaching job out there. And then I saw that Portola had opened up. I was just checking and, you know, on Ed join and saw that it had opened up. And so I applied at the division two school and I applied out here and we just, you know, prayed that, Hey, if, if there's this doors open and then let that sucker open. And sure enough, man, the, the division two job, I didn't even get a call back for. And then <laughs> I got called by uh, Portola. And so what was funny is we, we, I flew out, interviewed for Portola. Uh, we had talked about it when I got home. I talked to my wife about it. She's like, well, if we're going to do this, then I need to look for a job. So we had this checklist of things that, okay, we have to get her a job. We have to sell our house. We have to find a house. Uh, we want to be close to a good church. And I mean, all these things. And what was funny mm -hmm. is just one by one, they just start happening. I was offered the job. My wife interviewed. She was offered the job, like basically on the spot. She interviewed and she thought she had a terrible interview and literally like 15 minutes later, they called back and said, unanimous, we want you get out here. So we we're like, we have to sell our house. Well, our house, we put it on the market on a Wednesday. It sold the following Wednesday, wow. you know? So it's, uh, there was just all these things had to happen. We had to find a house out here and we actually contacted a realtor. Uh, we had a, an English bulldog named Thunder. that was a therapy dog that we were trying to get in, but nobody would let us rent a house with a dog. And we finally found one and we told the lady, get it for us. So the first time we actually saw our house was when we pulled into the, to the, the, the complex and we're like, Whoa, there's our house. You know what I mean? So it was just right. so many different things happened. So it was just crazy. What a blessing for Portola high school in the, in the community of Irvine, you know, you take over a brand new high school in year one and I think it just freshman. So what was the biggest challenge in taking over Portola and how'd you overcome that challenge? I'll tell you the biggest challenge was not knowing my clientele. When I went to, from Rio Rancho to Cleveland, I already knew the kids. I was known in the community. Uh, you know, I, the kids had come to like little kids camps we'd had. Some of them were in my program. But when I came to Portola, I didn't know anybody. Uh, you know, I didn't know how things operated out here. Nobody knew me. Um, so the thing we had to do is basically from day one when we had our first day at camp is just try to start developing relationships with kids and understanding that it takes time. Cause you know, I'm big on developing good relationships with kids, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think our first camp we had, we, I, I was able to hire my assistant Joe Zeman uh, before camp started. So it was he and I with like 30 or 40 kids, something like that in our first camp. And we were able to find out right away who was the hardest workers, uh, who were the guys that, 
that knew could put in the work that we could see buying into our system versus the ones that thought they worked hard. So, you know, that was just such a challenging thing is to just start uh, relationships all over again. Right. So starting those relationships and, and, you know, you don't know any kids or really the community or anybody, but, and, and then let alone like the, the regulations of the, of the governing board for the high school, you know, the CIF, right. And, and getting to know like when you can practice or what the hours yep. are. And, and uh, like you said, little kids camp, like you would know probably families coming in. That's tough when you, when you don't know uh, anybody. And uh, now, you know, four years in, you, you know, second year varsity, you guys won the league title and you guys made playoff appearances in both of the varsity seasons. So uh, I think things are going well. So, you know, you talked about building relationships with the kids. Parents are a big part of the program. How do you handle uh, any pushback from either kids or parents that for whatever reason, they might not be happy, whether it's playing time or discipline issues? How do you go about handling those type of uh, things that occur? You know, advice for young coaches and co people that are just getting into coaches is you, you want to be proactive with this. You want to get ahead of that. You know what I mean? Um, I think too often sometimes we, we look at parents as the enemy. Um, and let's be honest, in, in all years of coaching, you're going to have parents that are difficult. That's just, <laughs> you know, there's going to be some that are out there. But I just try to be proactive. Like, I'll get out and we'll have meetings, uh, parent meetings, like first part of the year. We kind of go over our expectations. But I have this sheet that I give them called Rules on Roles. And what it is is it's a, it's a list of um, roles that we have and rules we have for our players rules and roles that we have for our uh, parents, but then also rules and roles that we have as our coaches. And I, you know, try to emphasize that, Hey, we're a family and we're going to try to figure things out as a family. And, you know, playing time is determined, you know, during practice and that kind of thing. And so uh, one of the things I do to kind of maybe help soften it up with parents is I have one open practice per year. So I give like a parent practice every year where they can come in, they can watch, uh, you know, cause I think what happens in, I know, football is a different animal because it's outside and I'm sure you've had parents that just are standing on the fence looking in and watching and you know doing all that kind of stuff but uh, basketball is a little bit different because we can shut the doors and lock people out but I want to open it up sometimes and be like hey you know let's let's come in and, and and see how we treat your kids and see what your kids do and see why we get frustrated at times but uh, you know I think we also have our parents uh, through their handbook you know they have to sign you know, that they've read over the protocol and the read over basically the contract that we give our kids. And, um, you know, we just try to get on the same page with them. But then, you know, I think it's very important, too, that you emphasize with your parents that there's a step-by-step -step way to communicate. Like, if you're upset with an issue, have the kid come to me first. Don't have the, you know, the parent come straight to me type thing. So, like I said, I try to also encourage the the hierarchy of how to deal with it like if, if there's an issue i want the kid to come to me first we try to emphasize it parents don't come straight to us let the kid talk about it and then parents we can talk and you know and so and if you don't like that then we can go to the ad and then whatever but i i don't want them going just straight to admin or them coming straight to me without me talking to the kid and so i've actually had parents just show up sometime and be like uh, we need to talk about something. I'm like, well, has your son said anything to me? Nope. We're not having this meeting. We can reschedule it. And so, yeah, it might be inconvenient. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that confrontation, but you have to set that protocol in place so that everybody follows it. Exactly. So uh, I like that you said, you know, got to be proactive about it and that, uh, you know, I worked with you for a couple of years and I can see, you know, that you, you know, parents are not the enemy. Right. And, uh, 
I, I definitely agree. And I can see how you work in that way. So um, how do you go about with your players or just anybody on, on your program? How do you go about, you know, teaching leadership, you know, having a championship culture, discipline? I think a lot of it's it's your daily routine. It's, you know, we demand excellence daily. And I think every coach should do that. But I think every coach should do that with themselves first. And then the players will see that you're actually you're you're living what you say. You know, I think a lot of times adults try to um, minimize kids and, and actually don't think they know very much. But kids actually they know a lot and they see through a lot of the, you know, the fakeness and, and the BS sometimes. And so um, I think it's about how you live it. But it, it goes back to that book, that three dimensional coaching I was talking about, you know, those three different dimensions we you know, everybody can coach in the first dimension. That's all the, the strength and power and cardio and speed. And everybody's got drills to that. that. The people who do that are a dime a dozen. But the second level is those people that can get to the heart of the kid. And if you get to the heart of the kid, you can get the kid to do anything. And that's about, you know, you know, getting them to set goals and having confidence and motivation. And so we, uh, we talk about that a lot of times about how we're going to get to the kids. So for us, it's just being real with the kids, but also following up with what we say we're going to do. I hold my kids accountable with grades. I hold them with behavior on, uh, on campus. I've been told by my admin that, you know, they're, they're so thankful that our basketball players on campus, they don't have to deal with them very often, you know, mm -hmm. if at all. And so we, we hold them accountable and, you know, I'll do some things, you know, I think every coach has little tricks up their sleeve with, with uh, punishments or holding them accountable, but we do something where I don't, I don't let my kids get zeros on assignments. And if they do, and I find out about it when we do grade checks, then they run a sprint for every point that that assignment's worth. So if it's a 20 point assignment, you're only 20 sprints, you know what I mean? So there's, there's a little bit of fear in that, but it's accountability. You know, it's, I, I tell them if I go to my job and I don't do it, there's going to be a consequence. So uh, I think, you know, we give, put them in places to where they have to be held accountable. Um, and then leaderships wise, you know, I, to me, you don't have to be the team captain to be a leader. We, we do something we call dog of the day. And we have this giant rawhide bone that uh, we give to the kids at the end of practice that the kids vote on, like who practiced the hardest, who's the guy that's the vocal leader and who's, you know, doing, and so it's a different kid a lot of times. And so, you know, just giving them opportunities to, to improve and, and being put in leadership you know, situations. I really like the dog of the day. That That's pretty cool. And then also, you know, you talk about the importance of the student athletes on campus and they're not just, you know, basketball players. They're, they are, you know, they're leaders on campus too. So just high school athletics is just so important for um, kids to get involved in. And they have just so many more, you know, impacts than just, you know, basketball. Hey, we were good. We were league champs. You know, no, you got a lot of life lessons out of basketball. So um, that's awesome. And with uh, right now we're in the quarantine era. So we're moving, we're in the middle of May. What, and I know there's uh, summer basketball. So have you, what does this quarantine or coronavirus kind of closure, what's that make, what kind of impact is that making on your basketball program? Uh, have you heard anything about them trying to switch things around or do anything or um, any update for Portola basketball and, and generally speaking? Right now, I think everybody's at the mercy of, you know, governing bodies right now. I think everybody's itching to get out and do something. And, you know, for us, one of my assistant coaches has been doing uh, daily Zoom workouts with the kids. So they sign in and he puts them through about an hour workout because it's considered our offseason. Because one of our big goals this offseason was to, you know, get stronger. 
And mm -hmm. so we were already hitting the weight room, but now we don't have a weight room. So we're having to get creative with how we do that. So I'm sure it's like that with football as well, but mm -hmm. um, we haven't heard anything. There's still a lot of speculation that maybe we can have summer camps, but then we're also hearing there's a good chance we won't have any type of summer workouts and that, uh, you know, I've heard possibly that uh, fall sports might be pushed back a little bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know w with the California state system or the university system, canceling classes in the fall i mean that's that's not good right now that, right. you know what i mean these kids need sports and you know i don't want to get any type of political at all but there's a lot of decisions that are being made that i don't think they're taking every side into to consideration but because like you said high school sports are so important uh for communities for kids health for mental health for coaches jobs i mean there's right. so many different <laughs> things that we're needing but uh yeah this quarantine has kind of affected all of us but we're trying to make the best of it. The thing that frustrates me the most, though, is these kids just want some hope. They just want some yeah. hope that they're going to be able to get out and do some things and, and be able to participate as much as they hate running sprints and doing bear crawls and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They miss doing that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, thanks for the update there, Coach. And like you said, we're kind of at the mercy of uh, the, govern the government. And then from that, the CIF, and then within that, each school district, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I just hope that you know, we have school or whatever it is, you know, I want everyone obviously to be safe, but uh, um, sports and coaching and athletics just makes me kind of tick as a human being. So I'm looking forward to, to some sense of normalcy or normalcy in, in my life moving forward. So my next question I have for you, you've been a head coach at three different schools. And you've been an assistant coach as well for many, many years. Well, what do you think is uh, what? What do you think makes a good supportive administration? So, if, you know, as an aspiring head coach myself, what what are some characteristics or qualities of you know it's going to be a good administration? Maybe at the interview, and then also some things that maybe you, you experience too. You know, all the years I've been coaching, I've I've seen coach or admin or ADs that have been in the game for, you know, 30 plus years. I've seen admin that's been their first year as an administrator. So there's, you know, I've had the experience uh, in a lot of different areas, but uh, to me, a good AD, a good admin is somebody with a servant leadership mentality. That's servants leadership. You know, yes, I'm the AD or yes, I'm the, the principal, but I'm here to serve you and help you be the best that you can be. And so, I think as an aspiring head coach, when you go to the interview process and you, you know, you need to ask the AD some questions and you're going to get a feel whether the AD knows what they're talking about and whether your personalities are going to clash or not. And I think it's important that the AD knows what they're talking about and you'll be able to tell, but honestly, can you respect them? Cause here's the thing, like there's, there's ADs that I've had to have had to make tough decisions. I haven't always agreed with the decisions, but I've respected them because they communicated that to me and they brought me in and they said, Hey, this is the reason why I had one AD that I would go into his office every day after a game, after we had a game the night before the next morning, he was always at my games and we'd go in and we'd sit and talk about it. And, you know, it was, it was, it was cool to have that relationship. It, it was in the wins, it was in the losses and it was just a good confidant to have. And I knew he had my back with things. And cause honestly uh, I believe that people are going to, follow a person they're not going to follow a title so mm -hmm. if you're an ad or you're in leadership you know you need to be that person that people can go to and can trust and and whether or not they agree with your decisions they're going to respect that you 
are in that position to make that decision. So, yeah, exactly. The administration and you, you talk about it again, uh, the relationships and, uh, you might not have said the word relationships, but yeah. it really comes down to those interactions. And like you said, those tough decisions that they make, you know, they're in a leadership role and uh, don't chase titles, uh, you know, yeah. follow people. And, and that's, uh, I love it. So I think question. that people too, let me, let me interrupt yeah. you real quick, Nate. Something I think is important with that is, is an AD or a principal, the people that work under you, they need to be your brand. I mean, they're your guys. They're your, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you need to promote them. You need to go out there and support them and, and, and do whatever you can to give them the resources they need to be successful. And if that's not happening, that's where you're going to have some dissension. And that's where I think there's relationships between head coaches and, you know, athletic directors or principals where, you know, they can't trust each other. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a principal that called me in one time and said, Hey, I need you to come up to my office. And I'm like, what for? And he was like, well, I just need you to come up here. When as I walked into the office, there was two parents there that were ready to, go at me because of a decision I made with their kid. And I go, what is, you're blindsiding me with this. He was like, well, no, we need to talk about this. So I was like, nope, I'm not. And I turned around, I walked out. I said, I'm not doing it. You know, you don't <laughs> set people up like that. And I went straight to my AD. My AD was upset about it too, but it's like, you don't do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That, that I lost a lot of respect for him uh, when he did that. So it's all about, you know, like I said, everybody's important, but you know, make sure you're that servant leadership. Yeah, that would be tough to be blind. <laughs> hey, you got two pissed off parents <laughs> and they, they've, they've overstepped the, the pro, yep. your proactive philosophy and the kids haven't talked to you about it yep. and they go straight to admin. So I think I know how you've created this proactive uh, uh, <laughs> philosophy. So maybe they helped you. So uh, with that being said, uh, we talked about a good administration, which cannot be overlooked. And also, on campus, we have teachers. Uh, how do you go about getting teacher buy-in or support for your team, whether that means they go to your game or they work with a kid during lunch? You know, we know kids aren't perfect. They make mistakes, but, but with the teachers, you need a supportive staff. You know, how, how do you go about getting that relationship um, in a good, healthy way? And then how do you know that they kind of have your back too? You know, how do you get that relationship with all staff members? Because you have the music teacher, you have the band director, you have Spanish, you have all the core subjects. Yeah. How, and how do you go about working with teachers? You know, what's funny is the one thing I do with early in the, in the school year is uh, I get my booster club and we buy shirts for the entire staff. So I'll uh, get their sizes from uh, the, you know, administrative assistant and I will order shirts and then I'll just go put them in their, in their mailboxes. I won't say anything to them. I'll just put a Portola boys basketball shirt in there, or a Portola basketball shirt in. And, I'll get emails, man, thanks so much. This is my first shirt, you know? And so so little things like that to show that they're appreciated um, can go a long way. And then what happens afterwards is when we get closer to the season, I'll send an email out to all the staff saying, Hey, these are our kids. This is how they need to behave. This is how they need to act. If you're having any issues with them, please send them, you know, come contact me and we'll, we'll take care of it. And so I kind of, get it out there that look, we, we preach that you're a student athlete. And if there's, I tell my kids, the easiest way to get into my doghouse is for me to hear from another teacher that you're acting out in their class. And so the teachers know that I got their back. Now, trust me, there's two sides to every story. And I always try to get both sides of it. But as the teachers know um, that you have their back, they'll come to the games and I'll just invite them. I'll, you know, I'll send emails that, Hey, got a game that I don't forget. We'll, we'll see you there. And it's been cool to see at Portola, there's a core of teachers that go to almost every home game. And what we've done is we've developed a pretty good relationship with our band. Our band comes to every 
home game now, or every uh, league home game. And we've got certain songs that they play and we've bought them pizza before. And we, you know, give them some shirts and I give the directors for bands some special shirts and like polos and everything. So that we, we jokingly called it jazzletics. Now we have the jazzletics <laughs> department. So our jazz bands are over there playing songs. And so, you know, you have to, you have to be intentional about creating those relationships to get that culture developed at your school. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about the jazzletics and I, I know that the students are excited about Portola uh, basketball as well because uh, they, they got a good supporting it like the dog pound and uh, lots of cool things going on there and and it sounds seems like a cool home basketball you know environment so um, and you got the staff there so uh, that's awesome and uh, as a head coach you know it's you've had success wherever you've gone you know that's just what it is and I think you'll have success wherever you go but what would you say as a head coach is uh, what's one thing that you pride yourself in um probably a couple of things probably character development I'm real big on making sure I have good young men when they leave our program because they're they're not going to always play basketball they're going to go on to be you know dads and husbands and and that kind of thing so character development's one but also developing relationships that's been kind of the theme this whole day the developing relationships with players uh for me one of the biggest compliments a head coach can ever get is when a former player wants to come back and coach with you. And I've been fortunate enough when I was in New Mexico, my, almost my entire staff was made up of former players. And so I think that's something like, you know, take the wins aside. The wins are great. Don't get me wrong. And I know we get judged by our wins and that kind of thing. But from a, you know, let's be real. When I'm on my deathbed, the wins aren't going to be there. Uh, You know what I mean? But, but the people that I've had an impact are hopefully. And so, um, that's one of the things I think I take a lot of pride in is developing healthy relationships. Right. And do you think that your players would describe uh, that as your best quality too, is, is those relationships or how do you think your players see you? Um, <laughs> depends on the day, I guess, you know, <laughs> ask them after they've been running for a while or I've ripped them a, a good one, but I think something they would, they would say is my best quality is um, I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, very intense, but I'm, I'm very forgiving as well. I understand that, you know, we've got to have people make mistakes. We have to have short memories sometimes, but, you know, I think that they, my personality with my kids, I try to joke with them and have fun with them. And, you know, I'll still try to jump out there and play with them every now and then. I mean, I'll be 47 this summer. It's, it's not as easy anymore, but I'll get out there and like, you know, have shooting contests with them and make a half court shot and stuff like that. So that's definitely goes back to the relationship standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then I also like one thing that stands out. You talked about forgiving and it kind of just reminds you of 3D coaching, just having, you know, grace, right. And yep. just uh, great every day. <laughs> so, yep. Awesome. yep. and uh, you know, you're, yeah, you're 46 now and, and you, you, it's not as easy to play basketball with those guys, <laughs> but uh, your mindset probably hasn't changed, but you got to be careful out there. <laughs> yeah. My mindset, I'm still in my twenties, man. I, my, but my body's saying, you're not doing that. I, I had a goal for the longest time to dunk every year on my birthday. And I, I, I dunked when I was 40. And uh, I haven't really tried since. I was actually at the gym the other day with my son, and I was able to jump and touch the rim, but I'm not dunking or anything. So now one of my former players challenged me to try to dunk when I'm 50. So I think I might have to start a three-year training process. Just yeah. to- <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. So next coach I have for you is, you know, we talked about some strengths of yours and, and a lot of good things that you're doing. And 
Um, one area that's always is always going is continuous improvement, you know, being a lifelong learner. But what is one area that you feel that you can improve in as a coach? Hardest thing for me as a head coach is um, not comparing my assistants to me when I was an assistant. Because okay. when I was an assistant, I believe that, you know what, like I, I worked my butt off. And like I said, I volunteered for three years without getting paid. And, you know, so I think sometimes I, I, I want them to be like me and I want my assistants to see through my eyes and, you know, like, Hey, see the game through my eyes, the way I want to run my program. And, you know, just, if you see something that needs to be done, go do it. You know, like if, if, if the, the floor needs to be swept, go sweep it. If the, this needs to be done, go do it. And sometimes it's like, come on guys, come on, you see this, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's kind of a fault of mine that I need to kind of let that go. Cause you know, I, I trust people to go do things and I want them done the right way. A lot of times I trust them to a certain point and then I pull it back and say, I'll just do it myself. I got to stop. <laughs> I have to stop doing that. You know what I mean? I have to, I have to let people, cause people did the same with me. They let me flourish and let me do my thing. I have to let them do their things as well. So that's probably one of the biggest areas. Cause it's, you know, with coaching, your assistants can come and go. And, and my whole thing as a head coach is I want to groom my assistants to go on to be head coaches. You yeah. know, I think that's something that, uh, especially for young guys coming in, I want to give guys a chance and let them learn from me the good and the bad because I've given plenty of bad, but I'm pretty sure I've given them a lot of good as well, you know. So mm -hmm. um, just let them go on to, to, to great things. As assistant coaches, and, and it kind of reminds me of you talking about, hey, the floor needs to be swept, sw sweep it. So, uh, John, I, I don't know what book I was reading, but it was John Wooden where someone mm -hmm. caught, you know, caught him, so to speak mopping his own you know basketball floor after he had won I think it was like seven in a row or something of that sort and it was like you're John Wooden why are you mopping the floor and, and, yeah. and that's you know nothing was kind of above him or below him in a sense and that kind of just reminds me of, of that kind of mindset with yeah. not just head coaches but assistants too. Nate I went to there's a coach in uh, Louisiana at Northwestern State uh, Mike McConaughey and I went down one of my buddies as his assistant I took my team down there and my coaching staff got to go in and we did like a coaching staff, coaching staff meeting. Yeah. And we literally were standing there in the locker room and Mike McConaughey is the head coach. He looks up at the wall and he goes, that color is different of that wall is different than the color on this wall. And we just looked at him and he leaves. Well, he was gone like 30 minutes and he came back. He went to the store and bought paint and he just started <laughs> painting the wall. And uh, my, my buddy said, yeah, he goes, one day there was a recruit coming in and he noticed that the grass outside the arena needed to be cut. So he just went and got his lawnmower and cut it. And I was <laughs> like, man, that's, that's some good stuff right there. You know? Right. All right. So, Hey coach, uh, getting towards the end of our podcast now and a few more questions, but uh, if we could take a moment to reflect really, you know, what's a cup one or one or two things that really stand out about Rio Rancho Cleveland, Portola, maybe one or two things that stand out for each of those uh, high schools? Uh, you know, Rio Rancho obviously winning a state title as a special group. Uh, seven kids on that team went and played college basketball, which was crazy. One of them is still playing in the Philippines right now. Uh, his name is Chris Newsom. So that's a, that was a big thing there at Rio Rancho. Cleveland, um, I had a lot of good years at Cleveland, coached a lot of great kids. Uh, I have one kid currently playing in Portugal right now from that one of my teams there. So that's really cool that we still keep in contact uh, there. Um, Portola, you know, it's been exhausting. I, I opened up Cleveland and I always said that I would never open up another high school. 
because <laughs> it's such a draining experience. And then here I am doing Portola, but it's been very rewarding because I've got a great bunch of kids. Um, I'm getting close to 300 wins as a, as a varsity head coach. And I'll, I'll get that here at Portola eventually, you know, God willing. But, uh, I think for all three, it's just the relationships that I've developed with kids, man. It's been great to still stay in contact with all those kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're, you've been a blessing to all three of those high schools. Um, so just thank you for being, for doing what you do coach. And, um, if you had one piece of advice, you know, there's a lot of things that you've talked about as, you know, to young coaches, but I have some aspiring head coaches that listen to the interviews and I firmly believe, you know, whatever sport we have, it's just the platform, you know, uh, whether it's basketball, tennis, football. Um, but what's one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring head coaches like myself? Uh, I would say, you know, it's great to admire other coaches and learn from them, but you need to develop your own style and identity. Um, as much as I love, you know, John Wooden and, and Bill Self at Kansas, I, I'm not those guys. So I have to take my personality and, and, and intertwine it into what I want to do as coach. So, yes, learn from all those other coaches and, and that you, you know, admire, but develop your own style. Be you. Mm -hmm. So, like, for you, Nate, be Nate Williams, you know. Mm -hmm. So to any other uh, coach out there, be you. Um, you know, you got to own that moment and you got to own yourself with that. So I think that's a, those are things that sometimes we try to be something that we're not. But uh, if you're going to be a head coach and be successful, you have to be you. Coach, I do appreciate that. And you know, that's why that's part of the reason why I started this podcast, because I want to learn from, from coaches like you. And I have my own kind of philosophy, but there's kind of some things that that each coach does that maybe you know, I could take one piece and, and, and kind of uh, make it my own in a sense and be me. So coach, I, I do appreciate you coming on. And, and uh, the last question I have for you is obviously, you know, you're, you're years away from retirement, but when that day does come and you hang up the whistle for the last time, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered by? Or what, what, when, when people say coach Brian Smith retired, what do they, what do you want them to think of? You know, I want them to think of me as a guy that, you know, cared about them beyond basketball and, uh, you know, that I, I was worried about them as men. And it just – I loved each one of them. And that when they see Brian Smith, they can say it wasn't about Brian Smith. It was about us as players. It was about us as a team. He didn't make it about himself. Uh, he was more concerned with us than anything. I think that would speak volumes right there, I think. But, uh, yeah, I, hopefully that's not going to happen for a while, but you never know where this road's going to take us, man. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, it wasn't about me. Right. Servant leadership is what I hear. Servant leadership. Yes, again. So, all right, Coach. Well, hey, that completes the uh, podcast interview. I do appreciate you coming on today, taking the time, coming on the coach's trail, talking about your story. But, again, just just thank you for taking the time today. Nate, it's awesome that you're doing this. Uh, I wish I had done something like this when I was a young, aspiring head coach myself. But uh, I think you're on the right track with things. And, you know, it's great to listen to your podcast because I'm learning from other coaches as well. Like I said, learning's a lifelong process. And so uh, best of luck to you, man. Thanks for doing this. And that concludes episode 15 with Brian Smith with Portola High School. Until next time, I'm your host, Nate Williams. Get after it.